Amen. If you are able to, would you continue standing and also uh, turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of John, John chapter 1. I just want to thank, uh, first of all, Jen and uh, Rod for all that they do in regards to the media and uh, get them the lyrics up and art. Thank you for filling in. I texted him Friday once Megan fell and broke her leg that, uh, hey, we need some help. And uh, the, the music team, we just are so thankful for all that you guys do. Um, Christ is our hope in life and death, right? Well, we will begin today the Gospel of John. And we'll begin in chapter 1, verse 1. Stand with a sense of honor that God has spoken to us in His Word this morning. The Word of God says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Let us pray. Holy Father, as we come before you now, God, we thank you for your word, your word that points us to your son, Jesus Christ. It explains to us what he has come to do, of how he has come to save us from our sins so that we might be adopted into your very own family. Lord God, I pray that as we begin this series in the gospel of John, that, that, that you would be, first of all, honored and glorified and that we would come away understanding greater the, 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 your glory as revealed in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, that you have spoken to us. You have not left us in the darkness of our sin, but you have given us your word and you have given us your Son that points us to life, points us to eternal life. Lord God, I ask now that you would be glorified through the preaching of your word so that every heart might confess that Christ is Lord. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the most important question in the history of the world? 
What might come to mind when you think of that? What do you think is the most important question in the history of the world? I think the most important question in the history of the world is, who is Jesus? The question is the most important question in the history of the world. Who is Jesus? And you know, friends, this is the question that John is answering through his gospel here. He's answering the question of who is Jesus? Why did Jesus come to this earth? How did he come to this earth? What did he come to do? I might ask, why is that question, who is Jesus? Why is that question the most important question in the history of the world? Well, if you think about this, if we were to survey a number of people about, you know, make a list of five to ten people who you think are the most influential people in the history of the world. You were to ask people, you know, hey, fill out this list. Who do you think are the most influential people in the history of the world? You would likely end up with a list like this. You would probably have Plato and Aristotle on it. You would possibly have Buddha on it. You would possibly have Karl Marx on it. You would have Muhammad on it. And you would likely have Jesus on it. You should have Jesus on it. Notice, real quickly, I said influential. Not great and good, right? Because a lot of what was taught by some of those individuals was not great and was not good. But as you think about a list like that, with anybody from Aristotle to Buddha to Marx to Muhammad to Jesus, only one of those leaders was ever said to be God himself. You know, Buddha never claimed to be God. Muhammad, Muhammad never claimed to be God. Nor, nor did, did his followers, their followers, claim that they were God. But what about Jesus? Jesus himself claimed that. His followers and his actions as well claimed and demonstrated himself to be God. And, and so, yes, you have those as well throughout history have claimed to be God of some form, right? But, but nearly every single person who has ever claimed to be God have been dismissed as sort of uh, lunatics, right? As crazy or maybe just some sort of fringe movements. But how is it? How, how does one of the most important figures in all of history, despite what you believe about him, you cannot deny the influence of Jesus Christ on the entire world. How is it that one of the most influential people in the history of the world got away with that claim that he was God? Yes, certainly there have been those who have dismissed Jesus as crazy. And, and that's what some of the leaders of his day did, right? And we'll see. But how can he be so influential, yet make such massive, world-altering and eternity-altering claims? And friends, we have to understand those claims, right? We have to understand if the claims that Jesus made were true. You, you have to find out if those claims are true. And you have to answer that question for yourself. It is what Jesus says and what what John is writing in this gospel. Are, are these claims true? You have to answer that question for yourself. And in so answering, that's how you're going to find meaning and purpose for your life. That's how we find out how we're to live our lives is by answering that central and all important question of who is Jesus? And how do we do that? We do that by going to John. 
this is various ways. We can go to the other Gospels, and we have and various texts to understand who Jesus is. But you know what's unique about this Gospel here, the Gospel of John, is that of all the people to ever write about Jesus, all the, all the authors that we have in Scripture, whether it be Paul, James, the brother of Jesus, or, or the other Gospel writers of, of, of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's really only John and, and likely Peter as well who were the closest friends of Jesus. So John, the writer of this gospel, one of, one of the, the closest followers of Jesus, he has an exceptional claim to Jesus because not only was he one of his disciples, not only was he one of his closest disciples, but he was also one of Jesus' best friends, the closest friends. And so he has a unique claim to who Jesus is. So John, as we work our way through this gospel, John is, is going to help us answer that question of who is Jesus? And we notice that John starts his gospel off not with a with, with the birth story of Jesus, right? That we so often go through at, at, at Christmas time. He doesn't start with a manger. He doesn't start with the cattle lowing or all is calm and, and all is bright. No, no. Notice how he starts with these magnificent, amazing, incredible claims about who Jesus is. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to unpack some of the claims that John is making here. We're going to see the claims that, that John is making and unpack them. And so what are these claims? Just to summarize what they are. They're on the back of your bulletin, by the way. These claims are that Jesus is the divine word, that Jesus is the divine light, and that Jesus is the divine glory. Now, I tried with all of my might this week to do all of uh, verses 1 through 18 in one week, but I just could not do so. And to some of you, that's not a shock. But we'll unpack the divine glory of Jesus next week. But here's what we're going to focus on this week. We're going to focus on the claim that Jesus is the divine word of God, that he's the divine light of God. So we're going to look at those claims, and then we're also going to see the blessing that is given to those who accept and believe those claims. But real quickly, before we dive into those claims, I want you to turn to the very end of the Gospel of John. Turn with me to John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. So before we dive into those claims, I want us to begin at the end. Before we begin in the beginning, we need to begin at the end. Make any sense to you? I, I joked with the, with the Sunday school class this morning, we were, uh, we were going through different views. Uh, we went through the last things, our statement of faith last week. And, uh, and what we know for sure that's going to happen when Christ returns. And this week we got into some of the speculation of millennial views. And uh, um, uh, thankfully we got through those and we didn't have a church split, right? No, uh, it was very good. But so before, and so my point in saying that is if I'm not making any sense, just blame it on the millennium, okay? Uh, our discussion about it. So before we begin at the beginning, let's begin at the end. And, and here, John is actually going to give us a very clear reason why he is writing this gospel. You know, have you ever read a, a, a book or, or an article or, or maybe a paper that as you're reading it, you're like, what is the point of all of this? Uh, I think some of our people in uh, Sunday school this morning was like, what's the point of all of these different views of the tribulation and, and, and millennium and things like that? And have you ever been so confused by what is this author trying to do? Well, you know, John doesn't do that. He gives us a clear reason why he is writing this gospel. 
And, and, you know, whenever I read an article, a letter or a paper or listen to a sermon, I like to know why the author is writing or preaching what they are. And John does that for us here. Look with me at verse 30. He said, now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Pay attention. But these are written. These being what he's written in this gospel are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So you catch why John wrote this gospel here? He's saying, I wrote this so that you would believe that Jesus is what? That Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you would have what? That you would have life. So belief and life are two incredibly important themes that we will see woven a thread throughout the entire gospel. You'll see them present as well in the very first chapter. And you can go back and turn to John chapter 1 with me. And so that is why he is writing. He's writing so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing we would have life. So friends, this gospel is not written so that we could uh so that we could feel better about ourselves, right? Or that we can feel better about our friends. It was written wise so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the one and only Savior. So you might be saying, well, I already believe in Jesus. I already believe that he is the Christ. So, so I guess I'm good. I guess I don't need this anymore. No, no, no. It, you might already believe in Christ, brothers and sisters here today. But if you find yourself thinking, well, this isn't going to be very interesting, answering that question of who Jesus is. If you don't find it very interesting to think about who Christ is, then I would question whether or not you really understand how desperate your need for Christ is. You don't just need faith in Christ once and then move on like nothing happened. Faith in Christ is not stagnant. As, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are meant to grow in our faith and our knowledge and understanding of him and also grow in godliness. And so that's what John is, is showing us here. And, and this life that we have is not simply just a life that's going to be uh, that's going to be in the future. This life affects us in the here and now, in our current and present world. And usually uh, when I start off a, a, a new series of a book of the Bible, I like to give an overview of the book. I like to give an overview of some of the major themes. And so let's just do that really quick, real quickly, an overview of the whole book. I think you can split it up into two sections. You have chapters 1 through 12, which are called often called the book of signs. What you'll see Jesus doing is that he does six. Likely, I think there are seven signs that Jesus does uh, in the first 12 uh, chapters that are signifying who he is, that are signs of the Messiah, okay, showing us who he is and what he's come to do. So we'll see in the coming weeks that, that he's, he comes and he turns water into wine, that I also believe that his temple cleansing is a sign as well. There's a number of signs that Jesus does in this book to show that he is the one sent from God. Then I think in, in, in chapters 13 through 20, you have often what's called the book of glory, sort of Christ heading towards the cross, 
Uh, I also, uh, I, I remember listening to one professor say he doesn't like to call it the book of glory because that, that, that means some people think, well, that only that, those chapters are about the glory of Christ. You know, the whole thing is about the glory of Christ, right? So you could call chapters 13 through 20 the book of glory or the book of exaltation. And then you have chapter 21 that's sort of the conclusion, the, the epilogue, if you will, if you're uh, really into English writing. Um, if you're not, just call it the final chapter. How about that? So, so that's sort of the breakdown of the major book that, that we're going to be looking at in the Gospel of John. I also like to give an overview of the major themes in, in, in the book as well. And, and as we're going through uh, uh, this, actually, John really does that for us here. So he's already done the work for me uh, and the work for you, right? John actually does that for us here in this text. This text here, uh, verses chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, it's often called the prologue, sort of the introduction. And what he's doing is he's hinting at the major themes that he's going to unpack throughout the rest of the gospel. You know, think of it sort of like a movie preview, right? Uh, for those of you who like, uh, who are like me and you love certain movie franchises, I love movie previews. Uh, I love to see, you know, hey, what are some of the major things that are going to happen in these movies? It's uh, the, the sort of teaser trailer of what's going to happen. And that's really what John is doing here. He's unpacking some of these major themes. Uh, he's, ex he's introducing, hinting at these major themes. Some of these major themes are life and light and darkness and witness and new birth and glory and grace and truth. All of these come up in these first 18 verses and will be unpacked further throughout this gospel. Sound good? It's <laughs> a lot. All right, well, let's dive in. Let's look at these claims, okay? What are the claims that John is making about Jesus? And this first claim we see in verses 1 through 5 is the claim that Jesus is the divine word. So first of all, let's look at this claim that John makes about Jesus. He says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not made anything that was made. So first thing that John is showing us here is that Jesus is the divine word, the divine word from God. Notice how he starts off, in the beginning. What's John doing there? He's echoing what famous verse of the Bible? The very first one, right? Genesis one, one. His audience, when they would have heard this, they would have thought, in the beginning, God, right? God created the heavens and the earth. But John is saying what? In the beginning was what? In the beginning was the Word. In other words, what John is showing to us, and he's showing his, his readers, the pre-existence of the Word, the pre-existence of Christ. The, the, that, that before the word became flesh in verse 14, before Jesus came into the world, what? He existed in all eternity past. In other words, what John is doing is he is showing us the identity of Jesus. And he's saying he was not simply a man. He's saying Jesus was divine, that he was and is God. And so he says, in the beginning was the word. Now that word there, some of your translations likely have word capitalized. 
And, and that word here is, in the original language, is logos. That's where we get our word logic from, in one sense. But John is not talking about logic in the sense of book smarts or a logical type of thinking. You know, the world in John's day, uh, the Greeks debated the logos. And the logos for them was their reason for life. What is the reason for living? What is life for? It was sort of the, the answer to the ultimate question of what is my purpose for living? What is my purpose in life? And really, by the time that, that Jesus came to earth, there were a number of philosophical schools. And they had debated the, the answers to those questions. What's the meaning? What's the purpose of life? And they had all splintered off into various ways of thinking and nobody could agree with one another on what the purpose, what the reason, what the lagas of life was. So, so many in John's day and in Greek culture around him that had influenced Roman society as well, many of you didn't say, well, there really isn't any reason for life. There's no point to life. Sound familiar? Where, where today we have people like, like Nietzsche who says there are no answers and there's no purpose in life. And in John's day, there was kind of two major schools of thought that, that dealt with answering that question of what is life for? Uh, and you see some of these show up in, in later New Testament uh, uh, letters. You had the, the Epicureans who said there's no ultimate answers. And so we just exist today to live for our desires. Just pursue your passions. Have a good time. Nothing really matters, so eat, drink, and be merry. That was their logos. That was their reason for living. And then you also had a, another school of thought called the Stoics, who, who simply said, well, if there's no ultimate answers to our questions, we can't, we can't determine those ultimate answers, but we should still live as if there is. As if there is a reason, we should still be good and moral people. Although we can't answer these ultimate questions, we need to live as if there's right and wrong. So let's be good, moral people. There's no answers, but let's live like there are. You know, even though those are sort of ancient ways of thinking, you see how much they've influenced our society, haven't you? Let's just live like there's answers, even though we don't think there are. Don't don't ask me, don't ask me about the ultimate questions like the reason for living, the reason for life. I'm happy just sticking my head in the sand and acting like there's nothing going on, and so I just move along. But John says, no, that's not the case. There are answers. There is an answer to the ultimate questions and meaning of life and the reason for living. Kind of similar to what David preached on last week, right? Out of Ecclesiastes, remember? You might be saying, well, how did you hear it? You were gone. Well, I listened to the podcast, okay? Uh, where David preached from Ecclesiastes about meaning and purpose. Remember how David spoke of how uh, purposeless so many young people feel today? Because they think there's no meaning in life. But John writes here, and he says, there is a purpose. There is a reason, a logos for living, a reason for living. And that word is the word that was with God and the word that is God. And that word is Jesus Christ. And so this word 
use here, this logos, carries with it this idea of sort of self-expression or, or, or divine self-revelation, divine speech. In Hebrews chapter 1, the, the writer there says that God has spoken to us in who? In His Son. And that's similar to what John is saying here. This text is telling us that God has spoken to us clearly, logically, and purposefully in His Son, Jesus Christ. And you know, Sometimes people say, you know, I wish there was just this complete, just solid, watertight argument for proving the existence of God. Now, I would say there are all sorts of arguments to demonstrate and prove the existence of God. But notice what John is saying here. He's saying God hasn't given us a philosophical argument to prove his existence, to prove that Christianity is true. Don't get me wrong, I believe there are philosophical and right, reasonable, rational arguments to prove his existence, but he's saying he has given us a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what John writes about here demonstrates that Jesus is the divine word of God. You want to know whether or not Christianity is true? You must answer the question of who is Jesus? And so he starts off by saying he is the word, the divine word. Verse one, he was God, right? Jesus is not just some prophet or some good teacher. He was and he is God. And and we also see that, that Jesus was at work in creation in verse three. You see that all things were made through him and without him was not made, not anything made that was made. In other words, he's explaining the divinity of Jesus while Jesus was at work in creation. Jesus was not created because he is God. And thus he was at work in creation. And and then we also see, well, what else does John claim about Jesus? So he's divine. He's a divine word, the divine revelation, our reason for living. But he's also the divine light from God. Look at me at at, at verse four, The, the divine light and the divine life. Okay. So Jesus is divine light from God, and he's the divine life of God. We'll unpack those as well. So in him was life, and the light was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome. So we've seen John explain that Jesus was the divine word, that, and, and he shows us here what the divine word from God came to do, to bring life and to bring light. In the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, what is the first creative act that God does? He spoke, and there was light, right? And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Light in the Gospel of John is an incredibly important word. It's an incredibly important theme. And it carries with it this idea of of good and right decisions, okay, uh, that are made in accordance with God's will. So in other words, God has God has revealed his will to us through Jesus so that we might do his will. Second uh, Corinthians four, verse six, Paul writes this way for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So this divine light gives us 
life. Life has come from this word, from the divine light of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so John wrote this gospel, remember, so that we might believe and that by believing we would have what? We would have life. And he's not talking about a worldly life, a physical life, but eternal life. In other words, eternal life is found only in the word from God, only in Jesus himself. And friend, I want to ask you, do you know this life from Jesus? Do you know the life that comes from Jesus? Maybe you're answering yes, but maybe you don't. Why do you need this life? Well, because of the darkness mentioned here, the darkness is, is, is an important theme in John, and it, it, it's, it's, it's a reference to the world that's in sinful rebellion to God. So, so we come into this world not born neutral to God, but in sinful rebellion against Him. We are dead in our sins and trespasses against God, and we need the light that comes from Jesus alone. We need the light to shine into our lives and bring life. Notice what he says there. The light has shone, light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness, remember, it's a world opposed to God. It's alienated from God, rebelling against him. And you know, at times it really does seem like the darkness is winning, right? When you look at the world around us, sometimes it really does seem like the darkness is winning. Or, or think about the disciples. When Jesus died, they probably thought the darkness had won. But John shows us here that the darkness has not overcome the light of Jesus. It never has, and it never will. Right? Think about the greatest darkness. The, the darkest act in the history of the world is what? The crucifixion of the only innocent man to ever live, the Lord Jesus Christ. The worst darkness to ever face the earth. But God uses it for what? To bring about the greatest good and the greatest light. And that is life, eternal life in Christ, right? The darkness has not nor will overcome it. So just like, you know, think about this. Just like when you, 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 you shine a bright flashlight into a dark room, it exposes what's there. So too has the light that has come in the face of Jesus Christ come to reveal the darkness. Friends, no, I, I remember hearing somebody say, no amount of darkness in this world can even put out the smallest light. Right? Isn't that a beautiful picture of the images that God is using here, the metaphors that God is using here? So believer, even though it may seem like you are small and that you are surrounded by so much darkness, if you have the light of Christ in your life, that darkness will not extinguish the light of Christ so Jesus is the divine word, he's the divine light, and he's the divine life. And then in, in verses 6 through 8, uh, we see this witness to, 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 the, to the light, to the life, to the word. And that witness, uh, we're not going to dive into it because we'll unpack this in, in a couple weeks uh, when we get to the testimony of John the Baptist. But this witness is John the Baptist. And, and we'll see more about his witness later in this chapter. John came to bear witness about Jesus so that people might believe in Jesus. And, and as we move on then to verses 9 
through 13, we see again, he returns to this theme of light, right? John goes back to the theme of light. He says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So even though Jesus created the world, the world did not know him. Why? Because of the darkness in our hearts. When Adam and Eve sinned, all humans born after them would have a sinful nature. Again, we're not born into the world in a neutral state towards God. Rather, we are sinners who are dead. We are sinners who are in rebellion to God. We are dead and we are in darkness and we need the light of Christ to shine in our hearts, to shine in our lives, to expose the darkness there so that we might repent of our sins and believe in Jesus and receive the life that comes from him alone. And so as we're going to see uh, that, that this light is actually rejected, verse 11, he came to his own, his own people did not receive him. We're going to see in the gospel of John, as Jesus uh, goes to his own, his own people, the Jewish leaders in particular, what did they do? Some accepted, most did what? Rejected. And the Jews' rejection in, in opposition to Jesus, despite his works, despite his signs, despite his statements, his revealing of himself to them, their rejection of Jesus was a major, is a major theme of this gospel. So you'll see as they go on, this great opposition against Jesus is going to increase to, so, to such an extent that eventually it's going to lead to his crucifixion. They did not receive him. And friends, we can learn from their rejection of him. They did not receive him. They rejected him. But what about you? Have you received him? Or do you live for him? Now I want us to see the blessing that comes to those who have received the divine word of God, who received the divine light of God and the divine life from God. I want you to see the promise that John makes to you believers. Look with me at verse, 13, uh, at verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Now this section here, verses 12 through 13, this section here is at the center point. It's the culminating point, the climax of all of these 18 verses that John is writing in this first section. All 18 verses are either moving to this, these two verses, they're flowing to it, or they're flowing out of it and from it. And what is at the center of this text? What did the word come to do? Those who believed and received him have been given what? The right to become children of God. What's so special? Are we all children of God? Is everyone on this earth a child of God? Before you answer that question out loud, let's think about what John is saying here, what John is writing here. Is everyone a child of God? Is everyone adopted into his family? The text is going to help us answer that question. 
He says, those who received him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You know, I've heard many people say before, hey, it doesn't really matter what you believe. We're all children of God. You ever had anyone tell you that? Uh, I know in some of the evangelistic conversations I've had, hey, it doesn't really matter. I'm a child of God. You're a child of God. It doesn't matter how I live or, or, or what I believe. John says no. Right? He seems to reply, no, that's not true. Now, I'm going to say this. Yes, on the one hand, everyone's created by God, right? And God has a love for, for the world it we're all created in God's image and we all have value because we've all been created by God. But his, he has a specific love for those who repent and believe, those who accept and believe in Jesus Christ. You know, please forgive me if this is a bad illustration. That's a bad way to start off an illustration. Uh, but I, I say of, uh, of our dog, Ray, who's two years old and she's a puppy, I say, yes, our dog Ace is her father, but I'm her daddy. And, and, and what I mean by that, right, is there's a, there's a difference between a, 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 you know, her physical, I guess we say, procreator, um, and who she really looks to as a fatherly figure, right? And, uh, yeah, that was terrible, but uh, you'll just have to forgive me. Um, <laughs> I know that's rather silly, but, yes, God is the creator of everything. But for only those who believe and who have received Christ, only for them has been given the right to become his children. And they're adopted into his family. Those who did receive him, they were those who believed in his name. And they are those who have become the children of God. The way that, 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 that Paul and other New Testament writers Describe it as we're no longer children of wrath or children of the devil. We have become children of God. And, and you know, one of the unique blessings of salvation for the believer is that we're adopted by God as his very own children. You know, so often we think of salvation as simply just justification. How we are declared righteous through faith in Jesus. Through faith in Jesus, we're declared righteous. Our sinful record has been taken by Christ at the cross. And because he rose from the dead, he has accomplished our justification. In other words, he has guaranteed our righteousness. But we, and that is, that, is, that is incredible in and of itself. But we often forget about the incredible blessing of adoption into his family. That is one of the blessings of salvation. Is It's not just that you are declared righteous and you're freed from your sin and the punishment of your sin, but you're also brought into his very own family. This last Friday, as we were driving to the hospital, uh, Megan got on Zoom, and one of her friends, they are they, the final stage of the adoption process for one of their kids. They fostered them for a while, and they finally had that final declaration that now you are their and what a beautiful picture of the gospel that is, of, of the benefits, the blessing of the gospel, isn't it? Is that not just, oh, you know, you're, you're their legal protector, but no, 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 now they are their parents. And, and, and believer, rest in that fact. 
Believer, rest in the fact that you are adopted and that you are loved by God the Father. And friends, there is no greater blessing than to be a part of His family. And friends, what joy that should bring us, right? Nobody can take away your family, the family of God. No amount of darkness can take that away from you. I I love the way uh, J.I. Packer puts it. He says, adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is great. Believer, rest in that. Rest in your identity as God's child. For the unbeliever, you who are here today and you have not received Jesus and trusted in Him, do so today. Accept the the incredible blessing of, of, yes, being saved from your sins, but accept the incredible blessing of being a part of this family for all eternity. So I ask you, are you in darkness today? Jesus is the one who shines in the darkness to save sinners like you and me. That is why he came to this earth, to establish his kingdom and and to seek out and to save those who are lost and to bring us, us who are headed to to, to hell and, and to punishment for our sin for all eternity, to bring us salvation and to bring us into his family. So friends, who is Jesus? We've looked at the claims that John is making here about Jesus. We've seen the blessing of adoption for those who believe these claims. We've seen that Jesus is the divine word from God, that he's the divine light from God. He's the divine life of God. And we've seen the blessing that is promised to those who believe these claims, that we are given, uh, we are given the right to become children of So friends, see what Jesus has come to do. See his mission in coming to this earth. And when we see what he came to do and the mission he came to accomplish, that gives us a reason for and should motivate us for mission as well. Knowing that that all around us in this world today, in our own community, and all across the globe, there are countless people who have not heard of this divine word from God, who have not seen the divine light of Jesus Christ, and have not come to receive the divine life from God, and have not become a part of His family. So believer, what a blessing and what a joy it is for us to be a part of this family and to call others to believe and become a part of this family. So who is Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Lord, I thank you for the life that we have because of Christ. The life that's available to all those who believe and receive him. And the blessing of adoption as your very own children. Father, what a privilege. What a blessing. What a joy that should be for us. I pray that we would see that blessing. That we would share this blessing. Share this hope of eternal life. Share the the blessing of being a part of the family of God with those that you have placed in our lives. Who don't know Christ. Who have not received him. 
Father, I pray for if there are any here today who have not received Christ, that they would do so at this very moment. That your light would shine into the darkness of their hearts and show them that they are sinners who need a Savior. We have that Savior in your Son, Jesus Christ. Oh God, what good news this truly is. Pray these things in Christ's name.